It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it, because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by New York Lottery. Thanks so much for joining us. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. With you for the next 60 minutes, multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. The phone number, 973-667-1960. You can also follow and interact with us on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. I am at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at GiantsWFAN. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll get into the ins and outs of this matchup with the Browns on Sunday Night Football. All three coordinators spoke before we came on, so we'll go through some of the highlights on that front as well. A very busy program, and we'll get to your phone calls and your tweets along the way. And, Paul, let's start with the biggest piece of news since Thursday's program ended, and that, of course, is James Bradbury is not going to be available for Sunday's game. He was determined based on the fact that he had an interaction with somebody outside of the facility that he would be high risk. So as a result, he has to quarantine and is not going to be able to play on Sunday. Head coach Joe Judge spoke to the media earlier today. He indicated that he utilized the chiropractor outside of the facility. He didn't go against team rules or anything like that. They're not putting the blame on Bradbury, but because of rules and protocols that are in place governing the coronavirus, unfortunately, they're not going to have him at their disposal, and he's been by far the most consistent weapon within the secondary this season. Lance, unless I misunderstood, Judge said that the chiropractor was working with another team, which is why Bradbury assumed that the chiropractor was being tested for the coronavirus on a daily basis. That clearly did not turn out to be the case. And so what Joe Judge said is that, you know, they've advised all their players and all their personnel, talk to our medical staff. We'll get somebody tested and in our in our enclosed system, in our bubble, so to speak, so that if you do need some type of treatments, we can get them for you and bring somebody within our pseudo bubble, if you will. And so, unfortunately, uh, there was an assumption made that because that chiropractor was working with another NFL team, uh, I don't know who else it could be besides somebody close, but because of that, uh, there was a uh, there was a mistake made. So it's unfortunate because they certainly could use him against Cleveland. Well, there's no doubt about it, especially with the way that this Cleveland offense is performing. They're very strong in terms of their ground attack. They're top three in all the major categories when it comes to the ground yardage per game as well as yardage per carry and total carries, the volume, which is key. They don't want Baker Mayfield to throw the ball 30-some-odd times. They want to be able to pound it with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and the secondary is key in terms of slowing that down. You know, it's not just... Paul, about the guys up front. It's also about the ability of the corners and the safeties to come up and prevent guys like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt from getting that yak yardage after the catch or yardage after the initial contact. So, you know, when we talk about, well, this is going to be a physical game. Yes, they're going to have to win the battle in the trenches, but stopping the run, the way you do that effectively is also because of the assistance and help from your secondary. Well, let's make something very, very, very clear. James Bradbury is a physical corner who is not afraid to come up and stop the run. And when you look at what the Browns do, they love, despite the fact that Chubb is a bruiser, they love to run to the outside 
In fact, specifically, they love to run left and take that ball outside to the left, out to the sideline or off tackle, if you will. Now, there's no doubt Hunt with his speed and his quicks would be the guy who was more likely to run that kind of play. The problem is, if you don't stop him quickly, it's a 30-yard 30, 30 run. I mean, he's just, boom, he's gone. And before you know it, he's into your, into your third level of defense, and you've got to wonder if you're going to be able to stop him from scoring a touchdown. So, yeah, it is important that your corners provide some run support against a, a team that is able to utilize that outside running game. Now, as far as, okay, well, how do you fill in the void left behind by a guy like Bradbury? They have options. Logan Ryan, remember, can be moved between safety and corner. They still have Isaac Yadam in the mix, who's been a guy running on the opposite side. Julian Love is somebody that's interchangeable in terms of both positions. Montre Hardage, who they recently added to the active roster from the practice squad, he's another guy that has experience at corner and safety. So they have some versatility, and that's probably what they're going to have to do. But I want to add another layer to this, Paul, because it's not just about losing Bradbury. Remember, Darnay Holmes did not play in Sunday's game against the Cardinals because of a knee injury. Now, they didn't practice yesterday because Jason Garrett, obviously, with him testing positive, they wanted out of precaution to make sure that there was an interaction amongst the team. So yesterday was more of a mental day. They had Zoom meetings and so forth. But Holmes, it was estimated, did not practice yesterday, and he did not practice on Wednesday. Today will be another indication, but right now, I would say, Paul, it's trending towards Holmes could very well miss his second straight games, which means you're not just down one of your outside corners, you're also down your slot guy, and then it becomes more of a game of chess between who you're going to move to the inside. You're going to move Logan Ryan into the slot? Okay, well, that means now there's an opening at safety, and now Xavier McKinney who probably played the more snaps than he ever played in the last game, is now probably going to have to take on a more significant role. So my point is, it's a domino effect. It's more of an issue if you're down Bradbury and Holmes as opposed to just one of the two. Well, I'm going to give you another, another possible alignment here, all right? If McKinney goes, let's say, into the slot to take Holmes's position, which he saw a lot of time in last week, and you move Logan Ryan outside to the boundary corner, okay? Now you've got... Love and you've got Peppers at the safety spots. And don't forget Adrian Colbert, okay, because he was designated to practice and has actually come back now off injured reserve. Colbert was getting some time in that three-safety package earlier this season before he went down with injury. So I think his coming back to the lineup could actually factor into this Rubik's Cube that the Giants are going to have to utilize in their secondary. There's going to be a lot of guys that they're going to probably mix and match, especially since you now lose, once again, your security blanket in James Bradbury. Because when Bradbury's on the field, he takes a lot off the plate of the rest of the guys. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Patrick Graham attacks yeah. this Cleveland offense, specifically the receivers, because, you know, Jarvis Landry is a dangerous weapon. Rashard Higgins has made plays, and the tight ends could create some headaches too. But before we get more into the matchup, Patrick Graham did speak to the media earlier today, and right off the top, he was asked about how does now not having Bradbury in the equation impact your defensive alignment? You know, the thing about this game, and you get used to it over the years, you know, you lose guys, whether it's injuries or other things, it's definitely going to be tough with James will be missed. Um, but, you know, he's in meetings in terms of, you know, over Zoom and, you know, staying active and staying um, involved. So it's going to be tough, but we got to adjust, you know, because I know this. Here's the problem is that 
Cleveland doesn't care. So we got, you know, they, they can care less and we got to get ready to go. So, you know, like that's, that's on us to figure it out. But I know this, the players are rally behind it. I know um, James will be uh, pushing for us and cheering us on. So it's a, a unique challenge, but um, not unique. Let me stop saying it's not really unique, but um, it's a challenge and we're, we're ready to go face it. Well, and that's what life in the NFL has been all season long. You never know when you're going to lose a guy. You never know when you're going to lose a coordinator. And the Giants were hit in both of those entities. So I think like anything else, this is why you prepare accordingly in training camp and throughout the season. Hey, if we lose player A, how do we then go about making sure that we're not going to drop off on the defensive side of things? But it's not just about, well, who are you going to match up with the wide receivers? To me, the three tight ends, and even Graham talked about this, Paul. This is an offense where Austin Hooper is expected to return this week. He's been banged up. Then you have Harrison Bryant, a young tight end who's a very big target. And then, of course, David Njoku. So they'll utilize all three of those guys as blockers as well as guys that can be big targets in the red zone and open up the middle of the field. So the secondary, not only do you have to worry about the physicality of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, but you also have to worry about making sure that these tight ends don't become real big headaches all throughout the course of the game because they're more than capable of moving the chains with just their tight ends alone before we even start to talk about the wide receiving core. Well, you've just indicated another situation that opens up another possibility for the Giants because maybe they decide instead of going with the heavy secondary and, you know, using a lot of nickel, a lot of dime, maybe even some quarters, maybe all of a sudden now this is an opportunity because we've seen how well Carter Coughlin has done, you know, substituting the last couple of weeks for Fackrell on the edge, right? And we've seen Blake Martinez was able to play through a sore back last weekend against the Cardinals, and he got through it okay. Well, maybe, instead of going dime, maybe the Giants decide, you know what? We're not really happy with our depth in the secondary. You know, I, I don't think they want to put Nate Ebner out there again in the regular defense. We saw some of that earlier this year. It did not work out so well. I'd like to try to just keep him on specials. Maybe you use Tay Crowder or Cam Brown as somebody who's going to cover up a tight end instead of going with the extra defensive back. If you think that Brown's length can do that, if you think that Crowder's athleticism can do that, these are all the, the squares on the Rubik's Cube, you know, that, that Coach Graham has to decide, all right, what do we like? Is that matchup better than that matchup? If we do this, are we giving up that? There are At least there are, there are some options here. I, I do like the fact that the Giants have gotten uh, uh, enough of playing time scattered around with all of these younger, inexperienced players in that they're not going to be thrown into the deep end of the water without having some experience. I think it's important that Crowder has played some. Coughlin yeah. has played some. Brown has played some. This was all part, I think, of Judge's master strategy from the beginning, that you want to wean these young guys in week by week, giving them a taste so that if you get into a spot where you desperately need them in an emergency, they're not going to be thrown out into the cold. I agree with you. It has not been a baptism by fire scenario for most of these young players because they've been exposed to some snaps here or there. Maybe the volume hasn't been high, but they've at least gotten some playing time in the early weeks. I think that's been well documented. The tight ends, by the way, have accounted for seven 
of the 24 receiving touchdowns for the Browns this season. So you do the math. That's one-third of their touchdowns has been courtesy of Hooper, Bryant, as well as Njoku. That's more of a reason why the Giants need to be aware of these guys. And remember, it was Dan Arnold that made that great grab for the Arizona Cardinals, and he was a guy that was starting to come along lately for Arizona. They were increasing his snaps. They were increasing how they utilize him in the playbook. It's a copycat league. I guarantee you Baker Mayfield's going to take notice of whether or not in the red zone the Giants have been able to shore up some of those issues as they now look to slow down this Cleveland Browns offense. Speaking of the offensive side of the ball, I want to switch gears here because in addition to the loss of Bradbury, the other prevalent storyline is the fact that Jason Garrett will not be on the field Sunday calling plays because he tested positive for the coronavirus. So as a result, Freddie Kitchens is going to step in for him. And Freddie Kitchens spoke to the media earlier today. The one thing I want to make clear here, Paul, the assumption in general that I think is often made when a new play caller comes in, that all of a sudden the Giants or any other team is going to have the ability to revamp their entire offense in the span of 48 hours, which I think as as far from the truth as humanly possible. Just because the play caller changes doesn't mean the offense changes. Garrett's been involved in Zoom meetings. Joe Judge made that clear. He's still heavily invested in the game plan. The only thing that's different is... Kitchens is going to be responsible for calling the plays. Now, does that mean that Kitchens, based on how he sees the game, Paul, could lean on the pass a little bit more than the run or vice versa? Absolutely. I'm not saying that the flow of the game is not going to change. But what I don't expect is Kitchens is not coming in, and now he's not going to run the offense he ran with Cleveland last year, okay? You don't implement that in the span of three days. It's just not going to happen. So the flow of the game could maybe change, but the overall structure of the offense is going to remain in place based on what Jason Garrett implemented going back to training camp. I couldn't agree with you more, Lance. I think there is much to do being made about nothing with this. We all understand that the Giants coaching staff from the very beginning, as per coach Joe Judge, has actually taken turns at practice of calling plays. He purposely decided that because of the pandemic, there may be a case where he's going to lose one of his staff members, specifically one of his coordinators. So he said all along that it's been a cooperative effort. Guys have shared information. They have collaborated. They have taken turns. I get the impression that it it doesn't just go down one or two. I get the impression that almost every staff member has at least had a turn at doing some of this stuff because Joe Judge said with this pandemic, we had to be prepared for every single emergency imaginable. And this comes from the whole Belichick Saban tree where you better make sure that you have thought of everything that can go wrong before it goes wrong. And so credit to Joe Judge for that. And because of his implementation of this style of and philosophy of going forward, I think the Giants are in a very good position with Freddie Kitchens. Look, he has coached every position on offense except for the offensive line, okay, during the course of his career. He has also specifically been a coordinator as well as a head coach. I don't think there's going to be much of a change at all. I think putting Freddie Kitchens in the in the offensive coordinator's headset on Sunday is a seamless deal. It's not worth a story. It's worth the mention, obviously. You've got to mention it. But it's not worth the story that, that so many people want to make out of it. There is no huge difference that's going to be found. There's no magical potion that's going to suddenly get the Giants 45 points either. Well, I'll give you an example. 
Greg Olson, the Raiders offensive coordinator last night, was unavailable because of also COVID protocol. So John Gruden took over the play calling. Now, he's the head coach, and he also obviously has been a play caller throughout the course of his career. Now, with that being said, Paul, they had a change at quarterback very early in that game last night because Derek Carr wound up straining his groin. So Marcus Mariota came in, and Mariota is, I would argue, a little bit more mobile and a threat to run than Derek Carr. So, yeah, the offense changed a little bit, but I think that was more a product of the personnel. Yeah. But Gruden has been around because Olsen's the guy he hired. So they didn't all of a sudden dig deep into their bag of tricks, and Gruden is running flea flickers, or he's having Darren Waller play quarterback or some ridiculous concoction. <laughs> of offensive game planning. But the personnel does dictate to a certain degree some changes, but overall the Raiders stuck to what the Raiders have been doing all season long. Look, let's remember something, Lance. Freddie Kitchens and Joe Judge go back decades. Yeah. Decades. They go back to Mississippi. Yeah, they're not, they're well, Mississippi State. Yeah. They're, They're not newbies, okay? Trust me, there's symmetry between how these guys think. And oh, by the way, there's also that coaching tree that we talk about all the time. The, the cross-pollinization of the trees between the Patriots and, of course, even Saban, where Garrett was the quarterback's coach for Nick Saban with the Miami Dolphins. Okay? there. If anything, Joe Judge is probably be even more in symmetry and more in step with Freddie Kitchens than he was with Jason Garrett. And that's not to say they weren't in step, because I believe that they were. But to think that this is going to be any type of change is just it's it's foolish fodder for people to write about. That's all it is. Well, they have a history together, as you pointed out. So I do think that makes for a smooth transition. But I want to take it a step further here. I think big picture perspective, what this situation has showed. And we talked a lot about this poll in the offseason when Joe Judge put this staff together. He brought in a lot of former head coaches and play callers. And we talk about the depth of a playing roster, okay? Well, meaning if you lose a corner, who could step in? What gets overlooked, especially during a global pandemic, is God forbid you lose coordinators. And we also talked about these scenarios. Who can you have to come in? And Freddie Kitchens was a name because he previously called plays. But they also have Derek Dooley's on staff, Paul, the senior offensive assistant. He's also a former positional coach, former head coach. He also called plays when he was at Missouri. Then you take into consideration how other things get impacted. Well, Freddie Kitchens talked about this when he met with the media earlier. Bobby Blick, who's an offensive quality control coach, he has been working with him in coaching up the tight ends. So Mm -hmm. if Freddie then has to focus on the offense and calling plays, he can rely on Bobby Blick then handling the tight ends because he's been with him in a lot of the meetings. So they planned accordingly, but I think they had a good structure in place because they had a lot of coaches that previously ran their own ship, steered their own ship, Paul. So the adjustment is not like, oh, my God, what am I doing? I've never been exposed to this since they've been in those scenarios before. To me, about the only worthwhile mention about this storyline at all, to be frank with you, is Joe Judge did make it clear that because of the electronic uh, prohibitions put in place by the league, you know, coaches are not allowed to have cell phones either in the box or on the sidelines. Uh, They cannot communicate, you know, outside of what their staff cocoon is. That Jason Garrett, who's going to be home watching the game, Okay, let's let's understand that. Obviously, he's going to watch the game. Well, if he's got some thoughts as to what he's seeing away from the stadium, he's not in a position to text anybody or to make a phone call or to zoom in at halftime. The only legitimate story here is to let people know that 
as the offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett, is on his own in his house watching the game with no contact permitted with Giants staff personnel during the course of the game. So it's not like he can see something and dial up Freddie or dial up somebody else and say, hey, I got an idea here. You want to try it? That, that, that's, it was a worthwhile question to ask, but that's the only piece of news here out of this whole storyline. Yeah, because that would be a violation of NFL rules. So they have to stick with the staff members that are on the field in order to make the necessary adjustments. However, Garrett will be involved in the game planning leading up to the game because he will be taking part in Zoom meetings. So when they meet today, he'll be part of it. Saturday, part of it. Once all of a sudden the clock strikes 820 on Sunday, then all of a sudden communication gets cut off with Jason Garrett. We are here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks so much for tuning in. Looking ahead to the Browns matchup, the big news, no James Bradbury, no Jason Garrett because of COVID-19 protocols. An opportunity for you to weigh in at 973-667-1960. You could also use hashtag Giants chat. And a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games once again. Head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. Let's open up the lines. Jeff is in New Hampshire. He joins us. What's happening, Jeff? How much are you guys? Good, hi, Jeff. What's on your mind? Good. Uh, just thinking about the game for Sunday and some of the obvious points. You know, it's kind of a strength on strength game. Their running game, our run defense. Um, one of the things I think is important. I was listening to the Browns game the other night, and with how good their offensive line is, especially the run blocking offensive line, by the fourth quarter they tend to wear teams down, and that's when they end up. You know, their running game picks up because they've worn teams out. Mm-hmm. Hopefully our, our reserve defensive linemen, the, the, the guys we don't talk about a lot, the Austin Johnson, the B.J. Hills, if those guys can have a good game to help keep Lawrence, Williams, Tomlinson fresh, you know, if they when we take those guys off the field, we can't afford to give up 20-yard runs every time those starters come off the field. You know, a few years back, remember when Vernon and JPP played about 93% of the snaps? Yeah. Because yeah. the second you take them off the field, you're getting gashed. That can't happen. We need We need these guys that we don't talk about every day to step up and have a big game so that in the fourth quarter we're not completely worn down and we can still hold up in the run game. Um, I, think that's, I think that's kind of an underrated thing. Is our you make a great point, and I think that Austin Johnson has given the Giants some valuable reserve run-stuffing snaps in the middle of that line. Obviously, Dalvin Tomlinson is going to be a huge part of what happens this weekend because you know he's the guy there who has really solidified uh, the interior. But I would also add one other thing, and Phil Sims mentioned this yesterday during our Sims Spotlight brought to you by Bigelow T on the program, and that was the Browns are coming off a very physical and emotionally draining loss to the Ravens on a Monday night, which means it's a short week. And if you had a chance to look at their injury report, they got about a dozen guys who are limited at practice. Now, obviously, we understand if you're around the NFL, you know there's a lot of maintenance going on and that guys are going to be limited quite a bit during December so that they can get out there and play on Sunday. But I would say it's very interesting to, to look at that injury report because there are quite a few starters on both sides of the ball who are clearly banged up, battered, bruised for the Browns. And again, short week, rough game against the divisional opponent, a game that ripped their hearts out when they lost it. Phil was suggesting that there could definitely be some type of emotional, psychological, and maybe even a little bit of, of a physical price that the Browns had to pay coming out of that Ravens game. 
that's got to be something the Giants use to their advantage. Yeah, when you I look at the so. snap count, by the way, Leonard Williams yeah. has played 72% of the snaps. Nobody else has come close to that. Dalvin Tomlinson's the next lineman on the list at 59%. And then after him is Dexter Lawrence at 58%. And B.J. Hill then comes in, but he drops off at 34%. So they've actually been doing a good job rotating the defensive linemen, as well as the linebackers, because I'm looking at their snap counts too. So I think that, to me, has been a staple all season long. This is not a team that relies, Jeff, on one or two guys playing 95% of the snaps, to your point, based on what happened in 2016 when you had Vernon and JPP. So, I mean, the fact that they've been following that game plan all season long, I'm sure Patrick Graham and company are going to continue the rotation. Sean Spencer, who's the defensive line coach, does a really good job of keeping guys fresh. I, I don't think that's going to be an issue at all. Oh, no, I know they're going to stick to it. Just those reserves have to play one of their better games. That's all I'm saying. I know they're going to do it. They've been doing it all year. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I mean, remember, the big reason why Cleveland also has a very strong run game is, if you've noticed, they've been taking leads on teams and then pounding the football, whereas yep. against Baltimore, it was more of a back-and-forth affair. Now, they still ran the ball effectively, but I don't think it was necessarily dictated based on the rushing attack. Baker made a number of key plays through the air. So, you know, the other key is you don't want Cleveland to jump out to an early lead like Arizona did because that's another reason why the Cardinals were able to run the ball effectively. You jump out to a 7- or a 10-point lead, then all of a sudden you say, okay, we got no urgency, we don't have to air the football out, we're just going to pound it. So, I mean, that to me is just as important as to, you know, how well the defensive line plays. You, you don't want to give oh, Cleveland early gifts and early opportunities to really take command of this game, specifically in the first quarter like Arizona did. No, we're not a team that's built to come from behind. Obviously, we're, you know we're just not scoring enough points. So that, like you just said, we we can't afford to give fall behind early. And obviously, everybody knows the special teams thing. That field position is a big deal. I think, especially in a game like this, our offense we can't go 85 yards every drive. You know, we can't have all the three and outs and keep our defense on the field. I mean, everything we did last week against Arizona. To only give up 26 points felt like a miracle to me. They, they should have dropped 40 or 50 with short mm -hmm. field, three and outs, special teams, turnovers. I mean, that's a recipe for a team to score 45 points. And mm -hmm. we, we can't do that again. The kick coverage has to get better. And the return game, you know, I trust Pepper's returning punts. We don't get much of a boost in the kickoff return game. I don't know that we have anybody that can provide that. Hopefully they're not kicking off a lot. So, if, you know, the punt return is a big deal and the punt coverage and the kick coverage is a big deal. We, we can't give them short fields, and we can't force our offense to go 80 yards every drive. We're just not going to be able to do it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Jeff, and appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. A big reason why Arizona didn't score the 45 points, as the caller just alluded to, was the fact that Arizona went two for seven in the red zone and had the number one red zone offense prior. They were converting 76% of the time. So, I mean, kudos to the Giants' defense in the red zone for coming through with a number of stops because if the defense didn't, then, yes, that game would have been uglier than the final yeah. score showcase. There's no doubt about that. Look, Joe Judge admitted that this morning, and it's something that you know I've definitely put my mind to as far back as a few weeks ago. This needs to be a throwback game. Giants-Browns back in the 50s and 60s for the Giants to have a chance to win it. They cannot afford to get into a track meet. They do not have the offensive firepower and explosiveness necessary to keep up with Mayfield if he's throwing some of those darts downfield. That's just not going to happen. And it's not because I'm overly impressed with him either, because he is inconsistent, okay, and he does sometimes get overly emotional and it forces him into mistakes. 
This isn't so much because Mayfield is great. This is because if you start to get into a scoring contest with them, okay, they've got enough balance. I mean, they run it 51% of the time, Lance. That's third most in the National Football League. Yeah, they've, they've run it got, over 400 times. They've yeah. got tremendous balance, and that is can be like the number one poison to a defensive coordinator is when that other team has balance. And then when they're so strong against the run, if they get up, they will just bludgeon you to death. So what do the Giants have to do? It's funny. They want to drag this game down into old-style Sam Hall versus Jim Brown football, drag it and slog it through the rubber pellets, okay? And one would say, well, doesn't that favor the team with the better running game? Don't the Browns have the better running game? Okay, yeah, you can say that. But the alternative of trying to to get into an offensive match and trying to play catch-up if you get behind is sheer poison. The Giants' best chance is to slog this game through the rubber pellets and try to out-bludgeon a very physical Browns team. You have to out-punch the heavyweight champion, and, and that's really what the Giants have to do. Well, the other reason why you want to be able to slow it down and be able to run the ball is because you also need to worry about the pass rush for Cleveland, too. Because if they get into a comfort zone, it could be a repeat of Arizona. Remember, now you're going up against Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon, Larry Ogunjobi, Sheldon Richardson, all four of those guys that I just named, they're starters up front. All four of those guys get to the quarterback. They all have multiple sacks this season. You don't just have to worry about one. You got to worry about all four. But Vernon and Garrett are the disruptors, meaning those guys can single-handedly make your life miserable. So that's another reason why slowing this game down is important because if it does get into a track meet or the Giants get down early, then Cleveland is going to have that aggressive attack and they're going to take their fair share of opportunities to get after the quarterback. Here's another thing. They're also getting back their best corner, Denzel Ward. You mentioned, Paul, the physicality that maybe the Browns are a little bit worn down from their back-and-forth game with Baltimore, but they're also getting back a guy that hasn't played the last three games. So he's going to have fresh legs, and that's a big boost to a secondary that has been hit or miss this season. You know, that's the weakness. You want to be able to attack the Browns on the back end because you know you're not going to have much success on the front end. And the other thing is Wyatt Teller, one of their starting guards, he may not play. He has it practice, but Chris Hubbard, who has been a swing offensive lineman who they have put at a variety of positions, he in all likelihood could start, and he's also going to have fresh legs. So my point is, although they played a physical-minded game on Monday, they also have some new guys that weren't worn down as a result of that Monday game. I would disagree with you, Lance. I think the, the guys you're talking about, the, the, the two guys that could be inserted into the lineup, that doesn't nearly make up for the guys who have bumps and bruises and the lengthy injury report that goes from the ceiling to the floor. I, I, I couldn't disagree with well, you Well, I mean, Grant, in fairness, though, Paul, did you see the Cardinals injury report? The Cardinals had a laundry list of guys. I didn't see that slow them down. No, so no, no. I, I don't the, really read too much into whether a bunch of guys have bumps or bruises. The Giants also didn't come to play a slugfest on Sunday. They, yeah. they did. They All right, if they come to play a slugfest and out bludgeon the Browns, I do think that'll make a difference. It didn't make a difference last week because the Giants didn't come to play a slugfest. you gotta, you got to fight sometimes the sledgehammer with a fellow sledgehammer. And that's what the Giants have to do. They need to take advantage of everything that is hurt on the Browns right now. Well, and that's what I'm saying. It's all about the Giants' execution more than hoping that Cleveland's worn down. That's what I'm basically getting at. That's you okay. Execution's always important. Yeah, no, thinking no that, question. you know, well, Cleveland's a little tired because it's a no, short No, no, so, absolutely. Absolutely. 
and that's not necessarily going but to throw uh, haymakers, your, baby. Throw in, haymakers. In any better position. Yeah, of course. You, you want to win the battle at the point of attack, especially with a team like Cleveland, because their strength is their defensive line and their offensive line. The offensive line has been solid this season in terms of pass protection as well as running the football. It's a big reason why, to your point, Baker Mayfield is having a good season. He's having a good season because protection's much better than it was last year. The Cleveland offensive line gave up a lot of sacks last year. They weren't running the ball as effectively, and Baker has not been put in a position where he's got to play hero ball. So that's why, if you look at his numbers over the last few games, see, you don't look at Baker and you say, wow, his numbers are incredible. No, his decision-making has been solid this season. That's what separates Baker from the 2019 version of himself because you look at the fact that over the last six games, he has eight touchdowns and one interception. He's protecting the ball. He's not putting his offense or his defense in a bad position. That's what you want to see out of a young quarterback. You're not looking for the guy that's necessarily going to throw for 40 touchdowns. Give me the guy that's going to make good decisions and put his team in a position to win. That's what Baker is doing this season. Giants fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants, member FDIC. Let's head back to the lines. Jamal is in Dallas, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Jamal? What's going on, Lance and Paul? How y'all doing? Hi. Doing all right. What's on your mind? <laughs> all right, so... um. I didn't hear. I heard you, Paul. I heard you talking about, I guess, some writers or some reports about um, um, Freddie Kitchens being the OC, uh, being our play caller this week, or the OC for this week. I didn't know what what that was, what that was about. But I have. It's just funny how the universe works. How he happens to be the OC for this game. <laughs> but I also believe, just because I've heard some rumors, I don't know if it's true, that Garrett could be possibly out next year. So I'm also thinking maybe this is. Freddie Kitchen's opportunity to maybe interviewing for the OC position. No, kind of, I, I know, wouldn't. I wouldn't look way. anything else into this other than Jason Garrett had a positive COVID test and he's got to be away from the team. That's right. all this is. Don't look any further than that. Okay. Okay. I mean, That's, I, <laughs> honestly, well, I mean, don't look any further than that. It's just, living, it, yeah, it's, there's the, no point. Living in Dallas, I mean, I don't know about the crosstalks and all that, but living in Dallas, there's some talks I hear that. You know, Garrett's not happy being in New York. So I don't know how true that is or whatever. So I, I, I don't know. But maybe that's just speculation or rumors. But yeah, I, I think that's who pretty much speculation at this point. <laughs> and I would leave it at okay. that. I don't think there's any substance whatsoever to that. Okay, 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 maybe. It may be, but we never know what will happen in the offseason. So, um... Well, but here's the thing. Even even if you want to give that some legs, the bottom line is Freddie Kitchens and Joe Judge, as we were talking about earlier, Jamal, have a long-established relationship. So, for example, I'm not eating into that, but let's say Garrett gets a head coaching opportunity, which is possible. Garrett's a longtime head coach. If another team comes calling, they're interested, and Judge had to fill that based on another opportunity coming the way of Garrett, at least he knows, based on his inner workings with Freddie Kitchens, what Kitchens is capable of doing. But beyond that, which is pure speculation, I think you're reading way too much into this. Jamal, the point is simple. If you were in a situation where you were working with a bunch of people at your job and one of your key guys was unable to be there, wouldn't you go to the guy who you have the longest-term relationship with and say, look, oh, yeah. can you help me out? I mean, honestly. I'm not questioning, I'm not questioning the person. I'm just oh, okay. questioning how – I'm not questioning the person he he chose. That's by any means. Right. It just so happens that you know you're here. You're already hearing grumblings with the Mark Colombo situation, and then you know, like I said, living in Dallas, you 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 
Okay. All right, go ahead. Anything else on the game? Okay, all right, whatever. Uh, um, who's backing up James, James Bradbury? Who's coming in for we, Bradbury? We don't know right now because of the Rubik's Cube of possibilities that we discussed earlier in the show. I would think one of the most obvious moves, you'd hate to do it because I think Logan Ryan's versatility and the way that they use him now has been great with the pre-snap deception. I'd hate to actually have to take him out of that role, but you know what? He's got a lot of years in this league playing boundary corner. There's no question his resume and his experience is much more accomplished than anybody else on the roster today. Remember, they could use him in the slot, too, because remember, there there could not be a Darnay Holmes available as well on Sunday. It's not just Bradbury. Could be down two corners. And and McKinney would be the obvious slot choice if if they had to go there. And I agree with your, 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 I agree, well, I felt like we had to play this all season anyway. We had to play gritty, grudge match, you know, ground and pound football because we're, we're not in any shape or form to play, catch up or throw, or throw the ball down the field 40, 50 times. That's not our, that's not our game. That's not in our DNA. Um, we don't have the, the, the skill set yet to be able to do that. So I believe to be able to, to overcome the Browns, we're going to really have to make it an ugly game up until the fourth quarter, kind of like we did with, with the Seahawks. If we want to make it, make it a match. So I just hope the guys come ready to play. Unlike last week, where I hope we where we we don't get behind too soon, too early, and um, I'm just hoping whoever's out there at a quarterback position, you know, just manage the game well, doesn't turn over the ball, holds on to the ball, and um, just just put us in better positions. And, and special teams, special teams has to step up. We yep. can't begin the ball at the ten. Oh, I got a question about that. Is is Jabril Prepper is not feeling the punt returns for a reason, or because I feel like we're always getting there at the ten, yeah, <laughs> or the eight. Thomas McGaggy, the the special teams coordinator, was asked about Peppers' punt returns today. Peppers has the freedom to make the decisions on his own back there. And one of the things that they tell the guys in returning kicks is don't take a chance. Make the safe play. Don't try to step outside the box. Because the most important thing is to make sure that we possess the ball. So don't take an unnecessary chance. Now, having said that, McGahee also said that he thought there were a couple of times Peppers would have some room to run and could have done something with the returns. But again, stressing, you want to make sure you get the ball. It's like what Parcells used to tell Phil McConkey back in the 80s. Just make sure that you got the ball secured. Anything else is gravy. And, you know, I, I get that they've hinted that to him, but you're right. Because he's so good, he's averaging over 11 yards per pump return. If he had enough to qualify, he'd be in the top five in the NFL. And appreciate the phone call, Jamal. Thanks so much for uh, giving us a ring. You know, the other thing to note in terms of the special teams mishaps, the Deion Lewis fumble, I mean, that was just a fluky play. And not to say that you could afford to turn the ball over, but, I mean, that to me I wouldn't pin on, you know, fundamentals being thrown out the window or something like that. That was just one of those situations where a guy's leg got out and it hit the ball at the right point, then he fumbled the ball. I I don't pin that on a major ongoing issue, I guess is what I'm saying, for the Giants special teams mishaps. I mean, if anything, I would say the coverage has been more of an issue than perhaps mm-hmm. the return game. I mean, you always want to be able to give your offense better field position, but if you're really pinpointing what the problem is right now, it's the fact that teams are getting favorable starting field position, and that was extremely brought to the forefront against the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, that was yeah. clear and obvious based on where Arizona started. Five of their 12 drives were at the 50 or in Giants territory. I mean, you cannot 
continue to do that. You put Look, too much stress on your defense, and while the defense has been solid, you can't expect that they're going to be able to force a punt or keep a team out of field goal range when all they have to do is go 20-some-odd yards and they're already in scoring position, Paul. It's just Lance, you can't expect that to be maintained. I've been screaming it from the top of the Empire State Building all week. The two things that must happen for the Giants to be able to take this game, number one, without question, they've got to contain that Browns rushing attack. They've got to turn this thing into a steel cage match. I'll get on the phone to Vince McMahon right after the show. I'll have him put the steel cage up for another WrestleMania at MetLife Stadium on Sunday. You've got to make it a WrestleMania match, okay? You've got to be able to do that. That's number one. Number two, and it is absolutely positively critical, I mean, kind of 1A, you've got to win the steel cage match on your side of the ball too. Your offensive line is going to have to make sure you win the steel cage match against their defensive front. So that's kind of one and the same. It's the trenches. I'll, I'll include the trenches as one and the same. And then number two, you must, and I'm talking about must, dominate special teams against a Browns team that is one of the bottom feeders in this league on special teams. They are not any good at it. So not only do you have to clean up your act from the last three weeks, you must dominate special teams and make that your advantage. If you could do those things, the trenches and the special teams, you got a good chance of winning this game. So this is old school WrestleMania two, Hulk Hogan, King Kong Bundy, essentially what you're saying. Oh yeah, snap it to a Slim Jim. Ooh, the Macho Man. I don't know how we got Macho Man involved in this conversation, <laughs> but. That, to me, is the best parallel to what Paul is saying. As we move along here, the New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here, Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's head back to the lines. Lawrence is in Florida. Lawrence, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? Hi, thanks for having me. I just want to say that I'm hoping uh, they put last week's game behind them. And move forward because it just reminds me of in uh, in 2007 when they played the Vikings. I think it was on a Sunday or Monday night, and Eli threw like four interceptions. And they lost like 40 to tennis, whatever it was. And after that, they forged ahead, and they you know they went undefeated the rest of the year. So I'm hoping they put this game behind them, and next week let's forge ahead. Get the well, bad game out of the way. Darren Sharper doesn't play for the Browns, so I don't think you have to worry about that. <laughs> well, anyway, plus I wanted to mention um, yesterday Phil Sims was talking about Jim Brown, and I was in that movie Any Given Sunday. I was a coach. So I was hanging around with Jim Brown for a couple of days in uh, Lawrence Taylor. But Jim Brown was real friendly. And, like, if you didn't know him, you would think you'd be a little scared of him. But he was real friendly. All he wanted to do was play chess. We were talking about Sam Huff. And um, What was your part? Who Who did you play? I was a coach on the sidelines, and I did my uh, Dan Reeves impersonation. I had my left uh, hand under my right elbow and my right hand under my chin. <laughs> what, what's your, what's your name? A Lawrence from Florida. No, no, what was your name in the, in the movie? Oh, no, I was just a coach. Oh, you were just a regular yeah, coach a on the staff. Person. You were a staff yeah. member yeah, on the sidelines, just a regular guy. I was always, yeah, I was always standing around, and uh, I remember talking to Lawrence Taylor and and, you know, I'm a big fan, and he goes, I don't like to talk about football too much. And so I just remember that one time when you sacked the guy, I think it was on uh, Thanksgiving when he reached over the running back, he grabbed the quarterback, but uh, I think it was Detroit, he grabbed him by his shirt and just threw him down. 
And, Lawrence, uh, piece of know, advice. When Lawrence Taylor tells you something he doesn't like, you really don't want to go there. After I said that to him, he goes, man, you watch too much TV. I couldn't believe it. You know, we're talking about football. Whether everyone meets Lawrence Taylor, they're going to mention something about football. So, <laughs> anyway, and then uh, Dick Buckus, he was, uh, he looked like he didn't want to go near him. I remember that Dick Buckus, when he used to tackle people, he'd pick them up, like jam them into the dirt. He didn't just tackle them. Yeah, Buckus was, uh, was a force. Thank but you, Lawrence, anyway. for the call. Appreciate Hi, it. Great stuff. Appreciate you. the phone call. And by the way, a trick, if you want to talk to Lawrence Taylor, just talk to him about golf. I'm sure he'll talk to you all day about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Any given Sunday. Wow. Al Pacino is the head coach in that film. If you remember. That yeah. Steeman, Willie Beeman. There you go. Jamie Foxx. Mm-hmm. Replacing Dennis Quaid. That was a, a solid movie. Is there any truth to the rumor that the Tino designed those uniforms for the Sharks? Is that oh, true? Oh, please. I don't know if there's any validity Believe, believe it or not, guys, I'm actually partial to the replacements with Gene Well, you don't have to sell me on that. I mean, that to me is one of the best football movies of all oh, time. There's far it's more incredible. comedy in that one than any given Sunday. And the original so. Longest Yard with Burt Reynolds. The original. Yeah, you're talking about as opposed to the Adam Sandler one. Oh, my goodness. Did they ruin that movie? Anyway. But I would still put the replacements ahead of even the original, <laughs> The Longest Yard. And by the way, I think the only place you'll see Darren Sharper is in the new version of The Longest Yard. Yes, that's well said. Yeah, <laughs> he has uh, much bigger issues on his plate than the game of X's and O's. I think that's a, a fair synopsis uh, based on what has transpired. Indeed. And he was referring the last caller, by the way, to 2007. The Giants had one loss after that the rest of the way because they Lost to the Vikings. They were 7-4. and four. They beat the Bears and the Eagles. They lost to Washington. And then they beat Buffalo. And then, well, they had two losses because then they lost to New England in the regular season finale. The so point, they didn't go perfect the, the rest of the way. Yeah, the point being, though, that Darren Sharper used to play catch with Eli Manning even though he was wearing the other jersey. Well, if you want to compare it in terms of Cleveland, in all seriousness here, the Browns have been pretty opportunistic this season, by the way. They got 20 takeaways. So, you know, it's not as if they haven't had the ability to change field position that way. And once again, Denzel Ward's back, who is considered one of the best corners in the NFL. I think that's been well documented. He was up there in terms of passes defense, by the way, before he got hurt. He's he was right player. up there with James Bradbury. Good. He's a good player coming off yeah. of that calf. So we'll see. So we'll see whether or not that gives them a boost on the back end. Uh, let's uh, head back to the phone lines. Ryan is in Charlotte. What's happening, Ryan? Hey, how you doing, guys? Uh, first time caller here. I've been listening to your show for several years, and I just never had the time to call in. Um, well, thanks for I giving us a address... Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it. Yeah, I wanted to address something uh, you guys spoke about earlier in the week, and I hear it come up a lot, um, is when we get behind in games and we turn away from the run, and I'm not a football whiz here, but you guys say we have to turn around and throw the ball a lot more instead of running it. And I'm just curious as to, you know, with a stout run game and a good defense, I feel like coming into the third quarter, we should be able to make up a 14-point deficit with a good defense and likely bring us more back into the game versus, you know, switching to the pass. And, you know, us in our situation this year and, and last year, we're not as great of a pass team to be able to do that. So I'm just wondering, why can't we just stick to our game plan as to we're the best at running the ball, you know, yeah. stick to our defense, hope the defense holds the team, 
and try to chip away in the third and fourth quarter. Ryan, I don't know where you're getting the thought from that, that those of us want them to throw the ball more because that couldn't be more against my bloodlines. I'm a guy who wants to run it, who wants to play power football, and who wants to just absolutely smash people whenever possible. For me, the only way that I would use with, with what the Giants have right now at their disposal on offense, the only thing that I would do with the pass is the short, quick game, and I might even open up with it a little bit to start loosening up the defense so they can't cheat. Because what happens is, no matter how good you are in the run game, and the Giants have a good running game, it's not great, it's not dominant, it's good. Well, if you're dominant and you're great, you can do what Lombardi's Packers did. You could tell everybody in the building and on television, we're going to run the ball, try to stop us, because we're going to slam it down your throats, and that's the end of that story. Well, that's what a dominant run game does. The Giants are just a good run game. Which means, if we tell everybody that we're going to run it against you, well, if you want to stack everybody up and build a brick wall and throw eight guys in the box and blitz a ninth guy if you want, chances are you're going to limit us and we're not going to be able to pound the ball all the way down the field. And that's the I, difference. I think, I'm, I think I'm more or less just talking about when we're down, you know, going into the second half of the game, it just seems like, and I'm not necessarily – talking to you guys here but it just seems like i hear listening to tv and everybody talking that you know you have to get away from your game plan which our game plan usually is heavily run you know that's what we lean towards more and so i'm just wondering why do we have to lean more towards the pass i understand you score quicker but with a good defense i feel like we could just chip away more if we actually stuck to it yeah, again, though, the Giants don't have a dominant run game. It's only a I good think. run game. Well, hey, Paul, and a good Paul, run game can be stopped if people are slamming eight into the box. Yeah, Paul, I want to just I, I have the I have the game book up here, guys, from, from the game against Arizona, and they continued to try to run the ball um, until the fourth quarter, Ryan. So basically with that one uh, drive at the end of the third quarter, they got it back with 142 remaining down 20-7. to seven. They ran it for nine yards on second down, so they were still trying to run the ball. It really wasn't until, and Lance, feel free to disagree with me if, if you think I'm wrong here, it wasn't until probably 23-7 to with about 12 minutes to go to the game, because then you're down 16 with 12 minutes to play. At that point, it becomes a little bit more difficult to stick with the run yeah. when it's a 16-point deficit with 12 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Well, first of all, they had 49 plays in Sunday's game. I'm getting tired of people dissecting the play calling. 49 plays... 24 passes, 17 runs. Let's not make it sound like they ran 85 plays and they threw the ball 51 times. I mean, you guys got to look at the game flow. I'm not yelling at you guys. I'm just saying in general. And you brought up the play calling in terms of the second quarter, the second half. It was second and six from the Giants 11 after Goldman ran for four and Jones gets sacked. He loses nine yards. So now it's third and 15. Well, of course you're not going to be able to run the football on third and 15. You got to throw the ball. So it's these generic philosophies don't apply. It's all about downs and distances. And on third and seven, you're not going to run the ball. Third and four, you may not even consider running the ball if you have a better play call to move the chains. So it's not just about, well, why don't they just stick to the run because the run's effective? It's about, well, what's the downs and distances? That dictates play calling and what you're going to utilize as much as what the score is at that given time. I, I would only hey answer guys, the – real quick. Go ahead, just, Ryan. I'm going to hang up after this, but I just – I want to let you know I'm more or less referring to 
the season as a blanket and just hearing it, I kind of just wanted your guys' feedback on to when you hear – I know you guys understand what I'm saying when I say most of the time I hear everybody saying you have to switch up the game plan. I'm not necessarily referring to the Cardinals game. A little bit I am, but I'm more or less saying as a general statement, just wanting to hear your guys' feedback as you knowing football better than I do as to why is that. And I guess you kind of answered it. I just want to make sure you understood I wasn't specifically talking about second-half Cardinals game. I'm just talking as a general statement why, if you have a solid run game, do you have to get away from it? And it seems like you answered that question. So I appreciate that. All right, Ryan. Appreciate right. the phone call. Yeah, look, trust me. Uh, <laughs> I, I would love to go back to the days of Ward and Jacobs when the Giants had 2,000-yard backs and could just bulldoze their way down the field. I, I would love to see that. This running game is, is good. It's gotten to be good. It's not dominant yet. Yeah, they're not going seven plays, 75 yards in three minutes like they did on their first possession of the third quarter against the Cardinals. I'm just using the references from the Cardinals game because that's the most recent game. If they were doing that and they could do that consistently, then to the caller's point, you know, then maybe you're feeling a lot better about, hey, we're just going to continue to run the ball until somebody could stop us. And that worked for one possession. But then after, once you get a negative play, and, and this to me can't be emphasized enough. The negative plays have been the killers for the Giants, and that's another big reason why they can't sustain constantly seven or eight play drives where all they do is run the football because all it takes is you give up a sack, you have a negative run, or you have a short pass that loses three yards because the screen didn't work out. Then you get to a second and long, so now the goal is we need to eat into the second and 12 or the second and 13, Paul, to make a manageable third down. Yes. And then that means on the manageable third down, that may not still be favorable to run. So once again, down and distance is so critical in terms of how you go about strategizing the second half of a game. And while the Giants had a stretch of seven straight games where they were over 100 yards, I would agree with your assessment, Paul. I think it was a solid run game. It enabled them to be balanced. But it wasn't one of those rushing attacks where you're just going to run over everything in front of you and they know it's coming and you're going to dominate. I think there were still ups and downs within the strength of the rushing attack. There's no doubt. And, you know, as much as I don't necessarily like to have a running quarterback very much, the truth of the matter is Daniel Jones's threat to run was also a component Absolutely. that was helping them. And they don't have that right now. Remember, it took about, I think, two games ago for Wayne Goldman to surpass Daniel Jones in total rushing yards, Paul. Yeah. Daniel Jones was the leading rusher for the bulk of the season until Goldman had the back-to-back games where he had over 100 yards and over 90. So right. right now, if you look at it on the season, Goldman has 561, Jones has 403. But Jones is the leading rusher in terms of average per carry. He's averaging 7.3 well, yards per carry. That happens a lot, though. Your quarterback, a lot of times, will have a higher average per carry because of so many fewer attempts. But the, but the, the idea here, and by the way, Devontae Freeman, we should tell people this, Devontae Freeman. Clock started. Well, yeah, they had him out with the trainers at practice the other day. And now they have actually started his practice clock. So he will be eligible. In fact, he was eligible uh, as of the Seattle game to come off of the injured reserve list. And so we have to see now if uh, I don't think he's going to be getting in there this week after only one practice. But we'll have to see if in the last two games, Freeman can maybe add something to the running attack. It will be interesting 
whether or not Freeman eats into what Goldman has taken over. I think, if anything, maybe that has more of an impact on Morris's workload than necessarily Goldman. I know they've been rotating running backs, and it has been effective, but I don't see Freeman jumping back in immediately, Paul, because before Freeman got hurt, it was Freeman to start, then Goldman rotating in. It may not be Goldman to start and then Freeman rotating in. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see what they do there, too, because, you know, Morris is more of a power back. Freeman is a little bit more of a power back. Freeman, though, to be frank with you, is, is a better pass protector, I believe, than either Goldman or Morris. So the interesting part is, does he maybe take some third down snaps away from uh, Lewis? Is that possible? They now have a volume of backs where... Prior, you were wondering, well, what's behind Saquon Barkley, right? That was a big part of the discussion in the offseason because of Barkley's injury. Mm-hmm. Now we've been exposed to all of these guys, so we have a better feel for what they could do, where they're most effective. And now Freeman's been out of the equation during the surgence of this rushing attack. So you want to be careful in terms of walking the fine line of are you disturbing what you've already built or are you strengthening what you built? And I think you know, Burden Burns who is the running backs coach and is partially responsible for the rotation. Clearly, it's a decision made amongst all the offensive personnel coaching staff. But, you know, I think he's done a good job at least balancing the load and giving defenses some different looks. Because sure. I remember we were having conversations or maybe it was a phone call I received on the Giants postgame show. This last game, Paul, people were questioning, well, why don't they just stick with Goldman? So my response to that was, well, when Morris worked into the Seattle game, Paul, I didn't hear anybody complaining. Morris no, had two touchdowns in that game. Not not at all. Yeah. Look, I happen to like what Alfred Morris has done, and I'm not saying that he should lose snaps. I'm just wondering with Freeman's ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. I remember one year he caught over 70 balls for the Falcons. You know, he is, he, he was a three-down back for them. There's no reason why maybe he supplants Lewis as the third-down guy. Again, understanding that Freeman is usually, over his career, been really good in helping out protect the quarterback. Well, he brings a different dynamic to the field, out so, of the backfield. So there's no doubt about that. Absolutely. Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games once again. Head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. Let's head back to the phone lines. Keith is in Cranford. What's happening, Keith? Hey, how you doing, guys? Doing right, Keith. What's on your mind? You've been doing a great job. I appreciate it. Thank you, Well, thanks for tuning in. Um, I'm just saying that the... uh, Having Bradbury out really does change things a lot. Um, And... It's going to take the whole team, really, to replace a guy like that. He's, Keith, he's real a, quick, I'm going to just interrupt you for half a second. Here's why it's not as big a deal as some people might think, even though he's a terrific player. There's nobody on the Browns that they would have shadowed with him anyway. I think the Giants would play basically straight up with their mixture of combinations of coverages, and I don't think they would have said to Bradbury, you take care of Jarvis Landry. I don't think they would have done that. I, I just don't think he was going to travel against any particular Browns receiver. If he was going to, you now have yourself a huge conundrum because you don't have anybody else who can qualify as a traveler. You see what I'm saying? Okay, I understand that. And I understand that you have a lot more knowledge and you see a lot more than I do. Uh, I just felt that, uh, you know, he, he's a major major force in the game, and uh, I, I really do appreciate his abilities and everything else and his athleticism. Really good player. And uh, nah, I, I just 
I just look at him as a major cog in the uh, in the defense. That's what I'm saying, you know. Yeah. Just... No, that's fair. Again, it would be a bigger deal if he was going to travel, and I don't. I just don't think that's the strategy against Cleveland. Well, and here's the thing, Keith. It's a fair point because even when you look at the fact that he doesn't travel, let's say, and they play more zone, you still feel good about his responsibilities sure within his area. He's a okay? really good player. Yeah. So, well, I mean, even, there's no doubt about that, it that you take him off the field. Yeah, the guy that's replacing him, it doesn't mean that he's not going to be able to fulfill his responsibilities, but it's not James Bradbury. So I understand your concerns. I don't think you're crazy for feeling that way. And I also look at it from the point of view as what he's able to do. I mean, in that one play in the end zone, I think he was more of a zone guy when he saw his the guy that was cutting across the end zone. He, he went after him. He could have stayed with the zone. But he saw that he had to do mm-hmm. that, and he caught up with him and made the play. Well, that's football I don't think a lot of other players would do that, you know, yeah. and that's his experience and, you know, figure out he, what he um, had to do because uh, he wasn't man-to-man on that, I don't think. No, you're right, and, and I'm just trying to help make you feel better. Logan Ryan, if he, just, if he turns out to be the other boundary corner, okay, because Yadam has actually played pretty well the last two or three weeks. If, if they decide that it's going to be Yadam and Ryan, Logan Ryan has even more experience than Bradbury. So in terms of smarts and recognition and anticipation, Logan Ryan brings a lot of those same traits to the table. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't doubt it. And I, I love Logan Ryan also. I, I mean, as, as a safety and everything else and what he's able to do, and, and Peppers too. I mean, you have a good group of guys that seem to work well together. It, yes. It's just all, the fact that you're bringing in new young guys, can they, are, have they been coached up enough that they can step in there and do what they need to do to be a cohesive group that communicates well and does what we needed to do. Well, here's the good news, Keith, and we'll let you go on that note. Appreciate the phone call. The good news is that, as we talked about earlier, the guys that you're asking to come in have had a lot of reps because they've been rotating so much personnel. That's the good news. How the dynamics play out, that remains to be seen, especially if not only are you down Bradbury, but you're down Holmes, too. You know, everybody keeps focusing on Bradbury. I look at it as you could lose two of your mainstays at corner, and then that, I would argue, changes the dynamics and the communication a lot more than necessarily if you're without one of the guys. With that being said, that is going to wrap up Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. It is presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. As a reminder, you can also find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Paul, always a pleasure going back and forth. We'll continue it next week. For sure, Lance. couple MSG notes, folks. Remember, First and Ten debuts tonight on MSG Plus at 5.30 p.m. New York time. And special edition of the Giants postgame show. We are going back to a live-hour show after Sunday's game against the Cleveland Browns. As soon as it's over, click over to MSG. I'll be with Howard Cross. We'll get you set for one hour of live Giants postgame. Haven't done that all season but we're going back to a live post game this week. It's going to be a lot of fun. And as far as the Giants radio network is concerned, our pregame starts 620. We'll have a two-hour pregame show with the game flexed, and we will be on after the game immediately after that for an hour and a half recapping everything that happened in the contest. You get that, of course, on WFAN as well as Giants.com and the mobile app. So plenty of outlets to choose from for pregame and postgame coverage. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Stay locked to Giants.com. We'll speak to you on Monday. Have a good one.